Well, good morning, Valley Bible Church. It is so good to see you. I just want to tell you how exciting it is to share this platform with you. It's great to still be able to gather together. Even though we're not right near each other, it's still nice to know that we can still see each other and open up God's Word together. I want to tell you, I'm really excited about today, really excited because we have been planning and we have been praying about a series that we're going to jump into here starting next week. And this series has been prayed over, we, we planned about it, and, and we really think it's going to be great in the life of our church. This series is actually going to take us all the way to the end of the year, and it's actually going to take us a little bit beyond that as well. And we've been, like I said, planning and praying, and the start date is now right here, and I'm so excited to share this series with you. Now, what we want to do before we get there is we want to explain why. Why are we making this choice to jump into this new series? Why are we doing that? And really, the why behind that choice is the why behind our church, the why behind Valley Bible Church. Why does Valley Bible Church exist? We answer this question in our mission statement. You, you see it on our website. You see it on a lot of our printed material. You've probably heard people talk about it. You've heard it shared from the stage. The mission statement of Valley Bible Church is we want to know Christ personally and to share his love passionately. We want to know Christ personally. We want to share his love passionately. And it's exciting when you get this clarity of vision. It's exciting when you get this focus and this definition to your mission. When, when you're able to say, here's why I exist, that, that's exhilarating. It gives you a sense of alignment. It really gives you a sense of focus. You can see the target and you know where to aim. You know where to throw the darts. See, but there's another part to this clarity, another part to mission I like to call it the dark side of mission. And what I mean by that is this. See, when we answer that question of why do I exist and what is my purpose, what are we trying to do, when you get to those really deeply rooted questions, what happens when you answer them in a way that is intimidating? When you uncover your mission and you realize, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can make that. I mean, if that's the goal, if that's the journey... I don't know if I have enough gas in the tank to get that far. Can I, can I make it that far? I think we have felt this at times in other areas of our life. When we set a goal and we say, hey, I'm on mission to lose weight or I'm on mission to get out of debt. And maybe we realize when we start to add up the credit cards and the student loan debt and all those different things, we think to ourselves, there's no way. Like, I'm never going to make it. See, I think that's even compounded. That feeling is compounded when we start to uncover God's mission for our life. God's mission that says, I want, I want you to know my son personally. And I want you to share his love passionately. Man, that, that second part is really hard. I know you have friends and family members and you've been trying to share Christ's love with them for years. You, you've been praying for them and you've been having conversations with them. You've been sharing the gospel with them, the good news of Christ's death and resurrection for their forgiveness of their sins. And, and you've made all of these attempts, but you don't see any movement. And you just kind of get frustrated and you, you get disappointed and you get just intimidated by the size of this mission. And it makes you feel inadequate. And you kind of just throw up your hands and say, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. 
I don't think we should feel alone in this. I've felt that way in ministry too. And I think Jesus' first century disciples felt that same way. I want to show you this in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus calls four of his first followers. And Jesus is going to lay out a mission that is intimidating, a mission that really is going to make his disciples feel inadequate. But then he's going to give them a promise, a promise that I think gave them hope and a promise that could give you hope and gives me hope. So jump with me. We're going to jump right into the Bible, jump into Matthew chapter 4. And before we do that, I want to give you the big idea for this morning. The big idea for this morning is really going to show us that, yes, it's true. We, we are intimidated by the mission of God, intimidated by the direction that he has for our life. We feel inadequate, but he has a promise of provision for us. So the big idea for this morning is this. So make sure you write this down on your phone or find a piece of paper and jot it down with a pen or a pencil. Our big idea for this morning is this. We can't make it, but he can remake us. We can't make it, but he can remake us. Let me show you this in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to jump to verse 18. And you're going to see this, this tension come out. We can't make it, but he can make us. Let's go to Matthew chapter 14. I'm in verse 18. This is Jesus calling some of his first followers. Verse 18 says this, while walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. What is Jesus doing here? Well, Jesus is gathering his disciples. And Jesus is doing something a little different than what was normal in the first century world for a religious teacher to do. Normally, the practice was if you wanted to follow a teacher, you didn't wait for him to come to you. Rather, you came to him. So it was the disciples that would make the request. Hey, would you teach me? And so they would align themselves to a mentor. They would align themselves to a a rabbi, a religious teacher. But Jesus is kind of reversing that practice. Jesus rather is saying, no, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose who follows me. So he chooses four men, and the first two men is Peter and Andrew. And it says immediately they leave everything. They leave everything and they follow him, which seems honestly a little little drastic, a little uh, uh, kind of um, unnerving how quickly they make this life-changing decision. Now, I think we have to realize this is actually not the first encounter that Peter and Andrew have had with Jesus. We know from John chapter 1 that Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus. He was kind of the spokesman before Jesus. He was telling the world to prepare the way for God's Messiah, and that was Jesus. And so John had been telling all of his disciples, you got to look forward to somebody else. And then there's this transition where John points to Jesus. And Andrew is a part of this group. And Andrew sees Jesus. He then gets his brother. And we know that they meet with Jesus. Jesus teaches them. They're around him for a moment. But apparently, 
They didn't stick with Jesus. So it's almost like they attended like a seminar, but they didn't sign up. But here, Jesus is not waiting for them to find him. Jesus goes after them. And he says, guys, you remember our conversation. You remember our interaction. You remember all the teachings of John the Baptist. You remember what he said. And and now I'm calling you to join this movement. Come and follow me. And it says immediately, they leave everything and they say, yes, Jesus, we'll follow you. The other two brothers, James and John, uh, are kind of given not as much detail in our passage here, but, but there is another detail that's mentioned. We don't know what Jesus said to them. My assumption is it's very similar to what he said to Peter and what he said to Andrew. But there's an element that, that's added here. See, Matthew records that Peter and Andrew left their boat, but here we have James and John leave their boat, and it says they also left their father. I think the reason why Matthew includes that is he wants to unpack just how drastic of a call this is. It's not just leaving occupation. It can mean leaving family. That Jesus is making a very drastic call on their life. Not a casual one. When Jesus says, follow me, which is what he says to Peter and Andrew, follow me, he's not talking about what we would normally use that term to describe Hey, follow me on Facebook or follow me on Instagram or follow me on TikTok. Right? He's not asking, will you casually just parouse the pictures of my life? Would you be aware of what's going on? Would you see all the photos of food that I take and, and make sure you like, make sure you subscribe, right? make sure you retweet or repost me? That's not what Jesus is talking about. So our 21st century term following doesn't fit here what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not asking for a casual awareness. Jesus is saying, I want you to be with me daily. I I, I want you to learn from me. I want to train you. Come and follow me. And immediately it says that these four men leave. Now, three of these four men will become the inner circle of Jesus. Even closer than his 12 disciples would be the three, Peter, James, James. And John. So it's no surprise that Matthew records this. Here's how the, the inner group of Jesus first started following. So Jesus makes this radical call on their life. Come and follow me. Follow, follow you to do what, Jesus? What, what's the pur- purpose? What's, what's the mission? What's the vision that you would have for us, Jesus? And he says, I will make you fishers of men. Now, what does that mean? It's actually very unique language in the Bible. We don't really see any, any kind of pattern of this in the scriptures that are before Jesus in the Old Testament. We don't see God using this similar kind of language to talk about his plan of redemption, this idea of fishing. Well, I think Jesus is trying to get an image that they would understand. All of these men were fishermen. And he says, here's what I'm going to do with your life. If, if you'll come follow me, you'll be fishers of men. And this hit such a significant chord with these men that they dropped everything. They made Jesus their priority. Jesus is saying, guys, you're no longer going to pull fish out of the sea, but you're going to pull men and women out of the abyss of sin and death. And these men are captured by the idea. 
I mean, they're excited. They're eager. They're ready to go. With, with haste, they join Jesus. We must follow him. We can, we can almost feel the excitement of this. But I want to kind of prep the ground for us a little bit here because I think what's going to happen, and in, this was my first response in reading this passage, is I was getting excited for these guys as well. They were captivated by this mission to, to make f- f- fishers of men, to be fishers of men, to fish for people, to change people's lives, to not just fill people's bellies with fish, but to fill people's lives with hope. But I think this eagerness might wear off a little bit. I think these men are going to see just how Jesus accomplishes his mission. Just how Jesus plans to fish himself. And I think they're going to see that this mission is much larger than they can handle. That the next verses that Matthew records for us are going to make them feel entirely inadequate. Uh, Think of it like this. It's almost like Jesus is explaining kind of the finish line for us. If you think of Jesus like a a running coach. And so Jesus comes up to us and he says, okay, here's the finish line. We're going to run this far. And I'm going to run with you. We're going to run this race together. And this is the mission. This is the goal. This is the finish line to be fishers of men, to change people's life, to have a global influence, to give people hope. So there's the finish line. And so we eagerly get in the starting blocks. We put our fingers on the clay. We put our feet and our heels in the metal kind of starting blocks. And we're ready to go. And the gun goes off and we are ready to burst forward. And Jesus just breaks forward with, with, with incredible speed at a world record pace. And we are just lost in a cloud of his dust. And we become aware of two really brutal facts. Jesus is much faster than us. And we are incredibly slow. And I think that feeling of, I can't make it. If that's how Jesus is going to run this race, I I can't make it. I I don't have enough to do that. Just look at how Matthew records the pace of Jesus. The manner in which he fishes. And put this in light. Just try to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. These four men. They've got this great mission. And now they're going to see their master, perform this mission at a pace that's going to leave them feeling inadequate. Look look at how Jesus fishes. Look at verse 23. It says, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Those opposed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee to the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Where does Jesus choose to fish? It says, first he goes into the synagogues. These are the gathering places uh, for Jewish worship and Jewish instruction. So Jesus enters into these places. We'll see later in the gospel, Jesus isn't very much welcome later on when the opposition against him gets a little more stronger. But here, early on in Jesus' ministry, he's very uh, welcome to come here. So he goes there and he's teaching. 
teaching what? It says the gospel of the kingdom. This is how Jesus fishes for men. He preaches a gospel. Now, what does that mean? Gospel means good news. It means an an encouraging news, an uplifting news. It means hopeful news. So Jesus is coming with good news. And it's good news of what? It says the gospel of the kingdom. Now, what does that mean? What is Jesus talking about there? This is a really big part of Jesus' teaching. And really, when we zoom out from here, it's a big part of the teaching of the New Testament and the Old Testament. This idea of kingdom. Now, what does that mean? Well, think of it very clearly as there's two characters to this kingdom. There's God who is king. And there is humanity and creation, really, that is its his loyal subjects. He is king, he is ruler, he reigns, and we serve him. And we live under his protection and under his provision. This is the idea of God's kingdom. There's a very clear picture of this in the beginning of the Bible. When God sets up a place, the Garden of Eden, and man is there. He is provided for by the abundance of the garden. He is protected by God's decrees and God's law, and man serves God, and things go well. There's no sin in the garden. There's no sickness in the garden. We see a picture of this at the end, when, when God wraps up everything, when there is a new creation, or as the Bible calls it, a new heavens and a new earth. And in this new creation, God is king. And creation, all of creation, man and everything, is his loyal Subject. It serves him. There's no sin. There's no sickness. Now, in between there, that's not a fair description of what's going on. Because the difference between the beginning and the end is us. We are not God's loyal subjects. Neither is creation. We are cast as rebels. We, re- we, we push away against God's provision. We push away against God's protection. We see his rules and his commands as burdensome, as killjoys, when really they are to preserve our joy and give us great joy. But Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a good news that the kingdom of God is coming, that God's kingdom is now open, that you can enter in and become God's loyal subject again. So it's almost like everything we had in the beginning what we're going to get in the end is now invading the present time. It's, it's breaking through. God's kingdom is breaking through, kind of infiltrating the present age. And it'll be fully realized in the end. Now then Matthew records not only Jesus teaching about this, but then it says he heals. He's healing every disease and affliction. These are signs of the kingdom. See, the kingdom in the beginning and the kingdom at the end, there were places of no sin. God was king, and we are his loyal subjects. We were his loyal subjects. Well, in that place, there was no sin, and there was no sickness, because sickness is connected to sin. Sometimes in the scriptures, we see someone get sick because of a specific sin, but sometimes we see people get sick not because of a specific sin. But the Bible describes that all sickness is generally, indirectly connected to sin. We live in a sinful world, therefore it is saturated by sickness. But when there's no sin, there's no sickness. And so when Jesus says, kingdom is coming, I give you good news 
God reigns and you can come into his kingdom, live under his provision, live under his protection. He then says, this is a place where the world is made right, where the world is renewed. It's brought back to what it was and it's moving toward what it will be. And a sign of this is healing. There's no sickness in the end. There was no sickness in the beginning. And a sign of God's kingdom coming in is that people are healed. Now, how many people? Well, Jesus has a perfect track record here. It says every disease and all diseases. They're bringing everybody. And then it gives a laundry list of all of these people. Everybody is included. This list is long because it's all inclusive. Everybody they bring, Jesus heals. And then it says, because of this, his fame is spreading It says Syria, it says the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, all those regions. Basically what Matthew is trying to point out to us is Jesus' fame is stretching everywhere. Syria would be in the north, the regions uh, north of Jesus right now. The Decapolis would be in the east and Jerusalem and Judea would be in the south. And so basically what he's saying is north, south, everywhere, Jesus is is trending, if you want to use a modern term. He's, He's gaining more followers than PewDiePie has subscribers on YouTube. And if you don't know who that is, ask your grandson, he'll tell you. But the point is, Jesus' popularity is just, is just going erratic, and it's just spreading everywhere. Now, imagine if you're the disciples right now. Just kind of, let's take a collective pause and put ourselves in their position. Can you imagine how you would feel right now? Okay, you've been captivated by this mission. I'm going to follow this guy and, and, and I'm going to become a fisher of men. I'm going to change people's lives. I'm going to see people who don't have hope to have hope. I'm going to see people in bondage to sin, in bondage to addiction, and they're going to be freed. I'm going to be a part of that. And you get really excited about that. You're, you're captivated by it. But then you start to see Jesus work. And you see the miraculous the supernatural, the perfectly miraculous, healing every single affliction and disease. Honestly, if I was there, I think I would have been in awe of Jesus, but fully aware of my inadequacy. Jesus, how am I supposed to mimic that? If I'm supposed to be your trainee, if I'm supposed to follow you and do as you do, How could I ever do these things? It would be like this. It would be like a doctor coming up to me and saying, Paul, do you want to save lives? Yes, of course I do. Okay, I want you to come follow me. And so I follow him into a room and there's all this medical equipment that's that's beeping and and flashing, and there's this medical team that is surrounding this bed, and they're all looking at me as if I'm going to give them some instruction. I see a patient there who is unconscious, and, and he brings me to the head of the bed, and he hands me a scalpel, and he points at this dotted line on the patient's forehead, and he said, Paul, today we're going to do brain surgery. Well, I have no medical experience. I would feel incredibly intimidated by that assignment. I'd feel incredibly inadequate. But I think this is how we feel when we take apart that mission 
the mission of Valley Bible Church is to know Christ personally. That second part, to share his love passionately. That may feel more intimidating than doing brain surgery as a novice. (laughs) I'm sure you've had hundreds, maybe, of conversations where you've tried with with passion, with with boldness, with all the persuasion that you can muster to, to share the love of Jesus that is in your heart, to show it to your friends, to show it to your family members, and they're just not captured by it. Maybe even now you're feeling a little bit of that stress. And you're surprised that there is this collective awareness of sickness and death because of this pandemic. And still you see no movement in your friends or family members. And we get frustrated. And I'm sure you, like me, at times, you have gone to God in prayer and said, Father, I I can't do this. I can't. Make it. If this is what you want me to do, it seems like I'm never going to get there. I just don't have enough gas in the tank to get to the end of the road. I just don't have enough stamina. I just don't have enough speed. I just don't have enough skill. You can pile whatever excuse you want. I think we all feel that way. And I want to tell you, I think it's appropriate to feel that way. I think it's right to feel that way. We should be intimidated by the mission that God gives us. We should feel inadequate. But I want to go back to what Jesus first said to Peter and to Andrew. I want to show you that there's a promise here. It's true, we can't make it. But he can remake us. Look at this, jump all the way back in your Bible to verse 19. This is what he said to Peter and Andrew, a phrase I think he repeated to both James and John. And notice how Jesus very carefully chooses his words. This is what Jesus said to Peter and Andrew. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do you see what Jesus did there? Jesus did not say, Follow me and you will learn how to be fishers of men. Close, but not it entirely. Jesus did not say, follow me and you'll figure out on your own how to fish for men. No, we're not the subject of any of those actions. We're not the subject of any of those verbs there. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. What is Jesus asking the disciples to do? What is he asking Peter and Andrew to do? What is he asking James and John do, uh, to do? What is he asking you to do? What is he asking me to do? He's just saying, follow me. Follow me. Just be obedient. And I will make you a fisher of men. I will transform you. I will give you the power that you need. I will equip you. I will change you. I will remake you. I will transform you. You should feel little in front of this mountain of a mission. 
You should feel inadequate. You should feel intimidated. You should feel like you're going to throw your hands up and just say, I can't do it. You should feel that way, but just follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. Now look at how Jesus fulfills this promise for these disciples. It's not too long after in Matthew chapter 10 that Jesus sends these guys out on mission. And it's very interesting the language that's used to describe when the disciples go out. It's the same language used to describe Jesus' activity in Matthew chapter 4. Look at Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Matthew says this, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, here's the phrase, and to heal every disease and every affliction. That's the same exact phrase used in Matthew chapter 4. Right there. Why would Jesus, or sorry, why would Matthew use that exact phrase? I think he wants to bring our minds back to chapter 4. When Jesus showed the incredible pace and the, the, the just, just amazing method of how he fishes for men, he wants to say, look, Jesus was faithful to his promise. Notice it doesn't say in chapter 10 that the disciples figured out the magic words. Or the disciples figured out if they just meditated hard enough if they just did some sort of manner of, of magic or, or run through some routine or learn some practice or some rhythm or something like that, that they would unlock the kind of code that allowed them to have this kind of power. No, it says Jesus gave it to them. Jesus gave them this authority, and they did exactly what he did. Jesus is faithful to his promise that his mission is large. It's big, It's intimidating, but he will give you everything you need to accomplish that mission. Now, now we want to be careful here, because what we don't want to do is we don't want to overread this passage, and we don't want to underread this passage. We want to read the passage for what it is. What's being set up here is, is Matthew doesn't want to give off the impression that we can act exactly like Jesus. Jesus healed every single disease, and every time that someone came to him, Jesus had the command of his powers to do exactly as he wished. Okay, we're not the Son of God, and we cannot do that. We cannot act exactly like Jesus because we are not exactly Jesus. We don't have the same nature as him. He's fully God and fully man, and he has a different assignment from God. Now, the disciples, that's a little closer to us. But we see the disciples don't always have that command over all diseases at every time to heal in every way. What they encountered in their journey in Matthew chapter 10, it sounds as if, yeah, every occasion then, but if we expand out to the book of Acts and we expand out to the letters of Paul, we see that they don't always heal. They, they can't always command healing like Jesus did. Now, we do see the miraculous for them. We, we very much see that, that many that they pray for are healed, but we also see that, that some that they pray for aren't healed. Now, we've got to be careful that we don't give ourselves the assignment and the same kind of powers that Jesus has, but I also think it's very appropriate to, to not overreach and say that we are where the apostles are. They had a very unique assignment. Yes, their nature is very similar to ours. They're human, 
But their assignment was unique. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says that the, the apostles laid the foundation of the church. This was a unique work that they set up. They were inspired by God to give us the scriptures. None of us are writing scripture. None of us are laying the foundation of the church. I don't think it's fair to assume that we can have that kind of power and God has laid that on them differently than he has laid it on us. So we don't want to overread the passage. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to underread the passage. We can still say with great confidence that God has equipped us with everything we need To accomplish his mission. And he has done so in a supernatural way. In a way that is beyond our abilities. A a, a way that it's beyond just our planning. Beyond just our strategies. Beyond just our conversations. Beyond just the organization of, of ministry projects. And I know for me, I love to plan. I really do. I love to, to organize. I love to kind of uh, get things together and, and execute the plan and, and, and check all the tasks off my list. I, I love to do that. I'm just naturally kind of uh, uh, arranged that way. That's just kind of who I am. I love to be strategic. And if I'm honest, sometimes I forget. I, I just forget to invite the supernatural into that strategy. There are times that I forget that I can't do this mission on my own. And there have been times recently that I've been really aware of that. Aware that as much as I try to to plan and as much as I try to talk with clarity and as much as I try to be persuasive and, and loving and clear and confident in my conversations with those that don't yet know Jesus That's not enough. The mission is too large for my clever speech or for my persuasive personality. I need a supernatural power. I need God's Holy Spirit. I need Jesus to help me. This is true for you as well. I know you have felt frustrated. I know I have cried with many of you over those that are in your life, your friends and your family members who don't yet know Jesus. And we have wept together over that. And I know the deep burden that you feel. And I know the attempts that you've made. I know how hard it is sometimes just to get somebody to join you to come to church. How sometimes that takes years, it seems like. I know even after that, sometimes they, they, they finally make a, 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 an arrangement in their schedule to, to come with you on a Sunday or, or to watch online with you in, in a different way or something. And, and you get that moment, but it doesn't come to that culminating kind of choice to follow Jesus. And it just gets frustrating. Here's what I want to do. I want you to hear this promise. Follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. Follow me. Follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. Hear the words of Jesus. The promise of Jesus. He says, follow me. Just follow me and I will transform you. If you follow me, I'll make you more bold. If you follow me, I'll make you more persuasive. If you follow me, I'll make you more wise. 
If you follow me, I will continue to pour out my spirit on you. And your words will be more than just your words. They'll be my words. That you won't just be the one calling out to those friends and family members. But it'll be my voice calling out to them. We're going to do this as a church. We're going to launch into a series next week through the gospel of John. And our whole goal is just to follow Jesus. Is to kind of join with these men. To say, Jesus, we're going to follow you. We, we are captivated by this vision that you are going to help us fish for men and women. That you're going to help us fish for our friends and family members. That you're going to help us do something of such great significance and such great impact that we would leave everything and prioritize everything under this mission that we are going to share your love Christ passionately we're captivated by this and so we'll follow you and just invite you to make us transform us remake our attitudes remake our posture adjust the hard points of our personality and allow us to be more persuasive more bold and more effective so I want to invite you to journey with us. It's going to be a fun year. We're going to launch out and go beyond even that year and just take a slow walk with Jesus, follow him, and watch us, and watch him transform us. Now I want to ask you to do something today to kind of kick off this idea of following Jesus and being a fisher of men. Like I said, I, I really love to plan. I love to strategize. I love to talk to my friends about God. I love to serve those that are in need. I love to do ministry. But there are many times that I forget the supernatural side of ministry. That it's great to talk to my friends about God. But I need to talk to God about my friends. It, it's great to serve those that are in need. It's great to serve the sick. But I need to pray for those that are sick, that God would heal them. I need to pray that God can meet their need. It is good to be strategic. It's good to plan. It's good to organize. But we have to remember, this is a supernatural endeavor. And we don't have what it takes to accomplish this mission. So I want you to do this with me. I want to invite you to step into the supernatural nature of God's mission. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to call somebody today. Just one person. And I'd like for you to do it today. Because I think if you wait till Monday, you might forget. I want you to call one person today. Just one. I want you to call one person who doesn't go to church with you. And I just want you to call them and say, hey, it's good to talk to you. Man, I really miss you. I just want to know, do you have any needs in your life? I, I would love the opportunity to pray for you. So is there any way that I could pray for you today? Just open the door. Maybe you want to blame it on me. You could blame it on me. You could say, well, there's this really great, handsome-looking new pastor at my church, however you describe me. And, and, and he, he gave this challenge, and I... And I I really want to take on this challenge. So I, he asked me to pray for somebody that, that meant a lot to me, and you mean a lot to me. So is there any way I can pray for you? 
Now, what I want, I want you to do is that don't go in there over-promise or under-promise. Just like we don't want to overread the passage or underread the passage, don't come to that kind of interaction and, and overpromise or underpromise. Don't don't overpromise and say God's going to heal you, God's going to meet every need, but don't underpromise in the sense of well, I don't know if God can heal you, and I don't know if God can meet your need. I, I want you to kind of pray in the middle there. Pray very similar to how they prayed in Daniel chapter three. Uh, try this kind of formula when you pray. You could say. I believe God can heal you. I'm going to ask that he will heal you. And if he doesn't, I'm going to pray that he'd give you peace. You could pray, I'm going to pray that my father who can heal you, that my father will heal you. But if my father decides not to heal you, that he'll give you peace. See, right there you're acknowledging God has the power to do it, but you can't bend his will, but you can ask. You could submit that request. Can you imagine if the hundreds of people who are watching this service, the hundreds of people who are joining you right now, listening to this, imagine if hundreds of people prayed for other people. What would that look like? What could that do? Pastor Larry was in a conversation with me and Pastor Matt not that long ago, and And he just challenged us and said, guys, you know, somebody out of the blue prayed for me, and it meant so much to me. I want to encourage you guys today, very similar to what I said here, I said, I want to encourage you guys today to pray for somebody. Just out of the blue, call them up and pray for them. And so I did that. I thought it was a great idea. So I called up a friend, and I just said, hey, man, I don't have much to talk about, but I just want to know how you're doing. I want to know if I could pray for you. And he was in the, just the busyness of everything, and life was just super chaotic for him. He, uh, he had to let go of a ton of employees. He had to get his pay cut by like 35 40%, and he was just trying to make things work and figuring out how to make rent and all those different things. And, and he told me at the end, he said, man, I, I don't have much time, but I want you to know this made my day. I think of hundreds of people who are watching this service called up one person and said, hey, how can I pray for you? It could make people's day. And maybe it could change somebody's eternity. What if God decided to heal your friend and he used that as an opportunity to show his love for them and maybe it would open up their eyes to the reality of the truth of Jesus Christ? Will you join me in calling one person today and saying, how can I pray for you? Praying to a God who can heal. Asking him that he will. But also asking that he would give peace if he chooses not to. What could today look like for somebody? How can that change them? And maybe for some, how can that change their eternity? Church family, Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that it's so incredibly clear that we can't make it. Oh, the mission is so big. It's so large to see lives changed. How much bigger can you get? And Father, we admit that we are intimidated by this mission. 
that we feel inadequate to accomplish this goal. Father, we got to admit that we don't have enough gas in the tank to get to the end of the road. Oh, but Father, we are so thankful that you, you will make us fishers of men. You will empower us. You've given us your spirit. Father, you have empowered us and equipped us with everything we need to do the good works that you have assigned for us in advance. So, Father, it is in confidence that we go out on mission, not because we're great, but because you are in us and you are great. Oh, Father, I pray for the hundreds of conversations that are going to happen today. Father, we know in your great mercy that you do the miraculous, that you intervene. Father, we should expect supernatural intervention in our lives. Father, we know that you can heal. We know that you can meet every need, whether it be physical or financial. We also know, Father, at times, you choose not to heal. And you choose not to meet a need. But Father, we know that you've met our greatest need. And that gives us peace. That we have forgiveness of our sins. We have a hope of eternity. And Father, I pray that you would grant us great mercy in how we talk with our friends. All those conversations that are going to happen, Father, grant us persuasive speech. And Father, if you would find it in your gracious mercy to answer our requests. Father, we submit them to you and say, you do as you will. And Father, I pray, I pray that lives will be turned around starting today. That people will come to the reality of knowing who you are. That you'll step in and heal a disease. You'll meet a need in a miraculous way that there's no way to say that God did this. That's all they could say. No, something came in. It must be God. Maybe that starts their curiosity and brings them to Christ. Oh, Father, how we would rejoice. Be with our people as they pray for their friends and family members. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us. We're excited to kick off this new series starting next Sunday. We look forward to seeing you again.